Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be together this morning. Lord, whether we're in person or whether we're online, Father, we're grateful for the safety that you've provided. Father, I pray that you will bless us during this time of study. Lord, be with Dean, give him wisdom, and speak your words through him. Lord, help us to have receptive hearts. Father, give us discerning spirits. Father, help us to work together to encourage each other and to dive into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. So I was thinking about um, the, uh, the, the part we're going to study today. Uh, again, welcome probably, hopefully, a few more online today. Than, although, again, we got the faithful remnant here <laughs> in, the, in the sanctuary. But um, I was thinking about we're, we're exploring this, uh, uh, this, this concept of life together, coming together as a community of the people of God using a dialogue together with a book um, by that name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In, in the section we're talking about here, I was thinking about a, a dear friend of mine um, last week, uh, I guess it was about a week and a half ago he talked to me, but it's a picture, kind of a leader of his organization. He's not a minister type or anything like that, a man of God, but um, he was asked to do a funeral uh, for a dear friend of his and member of his organization. So. Uh, I was hanging out with him, and he pulled me aside. And he said, "Look, I've never, I've never done this before. I've never done a funeral. Can you just give me, you know, I've got the information here. Can you give me a couple thoughts and, um, you know, prepare me to prepare for this?" And I said, "Look, you'll be fine. You'll be fine." But uh, I, I said, "I will tell you one thing. I try to think about is, you've got a bunch of facts. I mean, he was telling me, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, the work, all this kind of stuff." I said, "Here's the thing." It, it makes sense for us, to, for our lives, to take, take the shape of a story. So I encourage you to think about that. You're telling the story and celebrating the story of a life lived well. I mean, that's when you're fortunate enough to have a funeral like that, and he was. So think in terms of that. What are some themes of his life that when you share it, it ties together the, the narrative of this person's life in such a way that we, we celebrate it? And, and when I think about that, part, part of what that's important for us to think about is as followers of Jesus, we've been doing that for a long time, right? Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is we set our lives in a larger story than ourselves. We're surrendering our identity to an author that is more than just <laughs> those of us that are writing our own stories. That makes sense. Um, fancy word alert, I'll, get, I'll give this to you just so you know. This is a very, very important conversation that's been going on uh, in, in academia and those kind of things for decades now. Uh, what I'm talking about is, again, fancy word, go impress your friends, meta-narrative is what I'm talking about. Meta being larger, bigger than, and narrative. Here, here's the debate in philosophy. Uh, a lot of philosophers, a lot of folks that, uh, that might not even know that word, will be saying this to us. There is no larger story. That's what you'll experience with a lot of culture. There is no larger story, so go out and make the best of what you can with your life. You're the only one writing the story. Now, that's one way to take it. That's one way to go. It's a valid option if you want to not be a follower of Jesus, which is fine. But those of us who are followers of Jesus, what we're saying is, no, we, we cannot find life outside of a star, story that's bigger than ourselves. In fact, if you talk to those whose lives are in this thing called recovery, 12 steps of any form, the first three steps of recovery are saying, I am not a good author of my own story. 
I have to surrender to a power bigger than myself, a higher power than myself. There is something about following Jesus. This isn't just checking off boxes. It's those of us who are saying, look, we are setting ourselves in a meta-narrative of a larger story. We're not the one authoring our own lives. And that's one of the reasons why we unapologetically here come to Scripture week in and week out. Unapologetically. We're not going to debate it. We're not going to run away from it. We're not going to be ashamed of the fact that there is this larger story that we're setting ourselves in. And you're hearing David talk about this every week. I'm finding myself in the story of Scripture, or whatever, how the way he keeps saying that, right? That's what we do every week. That's why even when we're studying a book, we're not even reading the book, we're taking themes of the book to come to story of Scripture. Does it make sense? We're, we don't apologize about that. We don't run away from that. So I want to think about, go to some places where Scripture talks about Scripture. I want to hear what Jesus has to say about the story of God that we locate ourselves in. And again, last thing I'll, I'll say about this. We, define, we don't go to Scripture just to kind of check off the box to, to win spiritual trivia contest or whatever, right? Um, we go to Scripture to remember who we are. Because I don't know who I am outside of the larger story of the one who made me. And more importantly, I go to Scripture to learn again about the mystery of the one who made me. Because I never will exhaust knowing the God that we're coming to know, right? So we're coming to Scripture. And today, and oddly enough, we're coming to Scripture about Scripture, right? So, um, again, I promised to, to bring in a couple of things from um, the, uh, the author who's joining us posthumously uh, with Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this section of the book. Uh, but let's start with Jesus. I encourage you on your uh, devices or in your Bibles to turn to Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to give the context of it. Although the main part of what I want to look at is only two verses. But I think that the imagery and the metaphors here are very, very important about Jesus' take on Scripture and those who would handle it. But I want to start just a couple verses before, Matthew 13, verse 44. Give you an example of the things he's doing before he talks about understanding what he's doing. If that makes sense. He's teaching, if you look kind of in the larger context of Matthew 13, he's teaching with a variety of parables. He's teaching in these stories, and what he's doing with the parables are not just little kids' flannel graphs so that we can walk away with a point. He paints a picture of the world of the kingdom of God in parables and invites us to join him in that world. Does that make sense? That's what he's doing. So let me read a couple of those, and we'll skip down. The real heart of what I want us to look at is verses 51 and 52. Let's start in 44. And as we always do, please share with me what you notice. I promise I will share with you what I see. What is Jesus here telling us about the proper use of Scripture and the benefits and blessing of coming to the story of God in Scripture? All right, verse 44, first, what he's doing. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Tells another parable, but let's skip down to verse 51. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked to his inner core of disciples. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law, or your translation may say scribe, it's a technical term in that, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures 
as well as old. Let me read it again. What, what grabs you here? Anything at all about what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God? Uh, by the way, Matthew is a Jew, so they're not going to say the word God. That's why it says kingdom of heaven. It has nothing to do with floating away somewhere. He's talking about the kingdom of God. So what do you notice about Jesus teaching the kingdom of God, scripture, the benefits of scripture? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and brought it, bought it. Verse 51, have you understood all these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every scribe or teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. What do you notice about Jesus' teaching on the kingdom and all about being uh, scribes, students of, of those scriptures, their kingdom scriptures? Keith here and uh, Wade's going to bring mics to folks. David, you're going to say something? You're playing with your mask. Be careful you play with the mask. I think you're going to talk. Dean, the first thing that jumps out at me is just that the kingdom of God has great value to us. And it's something that is sought. Ooh, those are like the two that. things, or the three things. In all three of those examples, there's a seeking and there's great value. Yeah, incredible value to it. Again, we've heard these parables before. I think it's so important. David talked about a word that I think is so central for us to, to reclaim. We are here to be followers of Jesus, to be students of Jesus. The, the technical term for that is discipleship. We're here to apprentice our lives to Jesus. And um, one, one of my favorite discussions of this, uh, Dallas Willard wrote, um, a, I think it was a chapter in a book called The Cost. We talk about the cost of discipleship, right? So give up everything you have. But he had a whole section where he talked about the cost of non-discipleship. <laughs> what do you miss out on when you choose not to be a student of the life of Jesus? And he unpacks it, the, the, the peace and the power and the purpose and the adventure and the wonder and the relationship of life together as a student of Jesus. Sometimes we need to remind each other this isn't just some like slave driving thing. Jesus invites us to follow him because it is of great value. Now I want to I add a little piece to what you said. Not everybody in the story is seeking. It is sought after by at least two of the three things you mentioned, but notice the two parables. This is something, again, I credit this from Dallas Willard, but it's one of the things I love about Jesus. Look at the first two parables again. What do you notice that is similar, and what do you notice that's different in the two parables? It's a kind of a neat thing to notice. Wait, are you going to say something? Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, yeah. If I'm on. Well, the, both of them found something, Right. it looks like, and... and, and uh, and then the, the one, he hid it again, and the other it doesn't really make a reference to, to what he did with it. He just found it right. and then purposed to uh, sell everything that he had and come yeah. back and buy it. Yep. Uh, whereas the first one, he found it. He, he found it and then re-hid it. Exactly. Uh, he found it and hid it again. Right, and, right. And then put it, you know, kind of put it back, which is a, which is a question in and of itself. Yes. Uh, because uh, then he went back and, and, and bought the field. Yeah, so yeah. Both, of the, both of those, they're similar in the fact they're punching the, the incredible value of this, right? And in both cases, what did they do? What did they give up? What was the cost in order to get the treasure? Just a couple things in this story. For both of them, it was everything. Everything. So what does that tell you? What they found was worth everything that it cost to give it up. That is, that is so important for us to remember. 
I grew up thinking that that's just heaven, so I've just got to, you know, suck it up here on earth and slave drive as a Christian. No, Jesus says life in the kingdom of God is so incredibly priceless and treasure-oriented that if we knew what it was he had to offer, there would be nothing we wouldn't want to let go in order to have it, right? That's the thing that's similar. What's different in the second story, yes, he's looking for, his whole life he was looking for the rare treasure. In the first story, is he looking for the treasure? No, what's he doing? I picture a guy out, you know, plowing the field, right? Right? Boom, they hit something. What, what the heck was that? And they did, oh my gosh, there's something of value here. And then he hides it again, right? Because it's not his field. So again, this part comes from a guy named Richard Lamb in his book, The Pursuit of God and the Company of Friends. I've said that before. I love just the title of it. That's discipleship, Pursuit of God and the Company of Friends, right? But he said, isn't it beautiful that Jesus honors and blesses seekers and stumblers? Some people stumble onto the kingdom of God. They're not looking for anything. But yet, as they're going through life, they stumble upon, oh my gosh, there's something to it. Nicodemus stumbles upon, well, I've been doing this religious thing my whole life, but there's this guy over here that's doing stuff I can't understand. Let me go there. God honors stumblers and seekers. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? But in both cases, when you stumble upon or when you find what Jesus is really offering, not just empty religion, certainly not cultural emptiness, when we stumble or seek our way into an encounter with Jesus, if we knew what it was he had to offer, isn't that what he said to the woman at the well? If you knew who you were talking with, you'd be asking for me to give you what I have to give. Isn't that right? Beautiful picture of life in the kingdom of God. What else do you notice? Thank you guys, all of you for that. What else do you notice about Jesus moves from talking about kingdom stuff to, to an image about those who would handle scripture? And I don't think it's just talking about um, formal teachers and scribes because he's talking to fishermen and stuff. Anything else you notice here? Jesus gives us a window into his view of scripture and life in the kingdom. Yes, Kevin, back there. Um, so that the last one, um, he brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the, the new and the old and the New Testament uh, truths out of both of them. Ooh, I like that, he yeah. He brings out. And so he, he has a really important treasure because, well, we know in the New Testament, you know, Christ dies for us. So yes. that, that's like everything. That's eternal yes. life. Beautiful. So he's setting up. I love that. He, Jesus says, I'm not just coming here making up stuff in whole cloth, right? I'm rooting it in the story of God that has already been told in the Old Testament scripture. Yeah. In, in a, another kind of a different take on the, the pearl of great value. Uh, well, I call Renee my pearl of great value. But anyway. <laughs> Good job. Especially on Valentine's Day. Boom, you get a point for that. Good. But uh, uh, is... Uh, I've also heard it, it's unusual um, that uh, God is the, mer the mer merchant who finds us. Yes, and yes, yes. Of course, he goes and sells everything he had. Oh, you know, that's Christ good. dies for us. Oh, how beautiful. Is anyway. That? Yes, yes. So. I, again, what a great example of entering in. That's a way to use scripture. Let's enter into the story in a different way. I love that. Yes, absolutely. God literally gave up everything for people, for those of us that he sees of value. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Jeff. 
Uh, in verse 52, the thing that really jumps out to me is, is where he says, therefore every teacher of the law mm-hmm. who has become a disciple is like the owner of a house. Just highlighting the value of every teacher yes. and the fact that even though there are so many that are teaching the same message, you may teach it differently than someone else, but the person who needs to hear it may need to hear it from you specifically. Mm. And so the value of uh, the value of every teacher, I think, is important. Oh, that's so powerful. Yes. You see Jesus doing this all the time. He's drawing people in. He'll say, don't, don't call somebody rabbi, teacher. Of course they call people rabbi and teacher. He's not being a legalist. He's saying, can, can we widen the circle of those that we think are the ones that we're learning from and sharing from? And so Jesus, again, is addressing fishermen and tax collectors and, and these kind of folks and saying, you're going to be scribes. You're going to be teachers of the law. And then he, he adds something to their understanding of it. This is a little on the background of that word, okay? In Jewish history, those who were called scribes are, are kind of like, uh, kind of equivalent to our um, kind of theologians of today, all right? So they're not the main pastors in a community, but they're the ones who are soaking their lives in the theological story of God and are teaching and training those who would follow it or those who would teach it, right? So that's the picture of it. Um, let me give you a quote from, it's called The Wisdom of Sirach. It's one of the apocryphal books. But this, is, this gives you a window into what people thought of when they talked about scribes. So Sirach 39 says this. A scribe is one who will not only seek out the wisdom of all the ancients. All right. So a scribe is someone who knows the tradition and the history of the Old Testament story. But also one who will penetrate the subtleties of parables and be home, at home with the obscurity of parables. Let me say that again. Penetrate the subtleties of parables and be at home in the obscurities of parables. In other words, they view a scribe as like a mystery solver. So this is someone who's steeped in what is old and someone who is knowing and solving the mysteries. Let me say that again. Steeped in what is old and solving the mysteries, so to speak. What does Jesus... Jesus affirms some of that, but then he adds to it. In Jesus' picture of a scribe, we're not just talking about someone that is only... Uh, bathing in the old, and we're not just talking about a mystery solver. What, what does Jesus add to the picture of a student of Scripture, as I think all of us are supposed to be? What do you notice that he adds to that? And you can shout that out. I'll just say it again. So he brings some new treasures as well, but there's also another important thing. I've already tipped my hand on it in terms of what David talked about today. Every, he doesn't just say every scribe. He says every scribe who's what? What did you say? I think he said who has become a disciple in the kingdom of God. Here's what he says. Here's what's important of students of scripture, Jesus says. Not somebody who can just tell you all the old stuff that's already gone on, but someone who is continually describing what God is doing new and fresh today. And we know what that was. He was standing there, right? Jesus says the old was pointing to the new in Christ, the kingdom of God now, here, today, and coming in Christ. And he says, here's your job, not to be the great guru who's the mystery solver for everybody else. Hear this. Jesus says, you want to be a scribe? You want to be a student of scripture? You continue to be a student. You're a disciple of my life. You're an apprentice of my life. That's what it looks like to read scripture. Isn't it amazing? It used to be, especially in their day and age, the the rabbi was the one who understood it all. The one who could declare from on high and everybody would bow and, oh, yes, the sage that David talked about. No, here's the great student of scriptures today, the ones who never stop being a student. (laughs) 
Jesus says, that's my invitation. When you come to scripture, you come in this surrendered position that there's a larger story than me. And even if you've been reading it for a hundred years, we come again with a humble heart that say, God, what are you saying? Jesus, what are you saying in this story in terms of who I am and who you are today? Does that make sense? I love that addition to their understanding of what it means to be a scribe. Anything else? Skipped over verse 51. This is one that took me a second just to kind of, what does he ask them? I don't know what you do with that. I'll give you kind of a take on mine. Go ahead, Wade. I, it, that was the one thing I noticed because it's so, have you understood these things? And they just say, yes. <laughs> well, every, so many other places, Jesus teaches in parables, and they're going, what are you talking about? Yeah. And here, you know, so you, you wonder if they genuinely understood or if they're just sort of glazed over saying yes and trying to move on. Yes. I love what you're saying there. It's not just a bunch of other places. It's this place. If you look back at the beginning of the chapter... Jesus has one of the fundamental cornerstone parables, right? One of the cornerstone parables. He, he leans into this. All the Gospels kind of lean into this. It's the parable of the sower, right? And at the end of it, do you know what they say? Wade's doing yeah, it for us. What, you know, what are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about, right? And they say, why do you keep speaking in parables? And three times in the text, Jesus uses the word he uses here. Understanding, 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 right? Um, uh, let's just God, I'm point, point them out in a couple places. Let me see where I put my, my notes on this. Um, he quotes from Isaiah here, remember? And he says, uh, the people are going to be ever here. He, and this is what he says, by the way. I love it. He doesn't give the Bible class answer. Why do you speak in parables? But I was taught as a little kid so that we would understand it. He, he tells a story, heavenly story, earthly meaning, earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and we all understand it. Look back in the beginning of, of Matthew 13. Is that what Jesus says, the reason that he speaks in parables? Unpack, let's read it. It's, it's, it's interesting. Verse 13 of chapter 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, and he quotes from Isaiah. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. So this is one of the places I don't think, do they fully understand what Jesus is saying? No, but I do think they mean it. Now, here's the difference, right? So, so again, first of all, just play with this. Let this work on you as it's worked on me. I don't have a definitive answer on this. But Jesus' first answer for speaking in parables is so they won't understand it. What do you do with that? I'm telling you, other places he'll pull the disciples to the side, and John says he speak very plainly to them. But when he's talking to the big crowd, he doesn't always speak very plainly. Now, what is it that makes the disciples different from the rest of the crowd? I don't think anybody understood what Jesus said, but if you look at what happens, and you already said what they did, but in chapter 13, at the beginning, why is it that the disciples at least could begin to understand when other people couldn't? What was the difference? And you might see things I don't. Jesus tells the parable. Crowds go on their way. What do the disciples do? The, disi the disciples stay yes. 
and they ask, and then Jesus explains. Yes. So it's in the asking, uh, the seeking, that I think you started the class with. I wasn't in here then, but um, so I think it's that seeking that yes. brings the understanding. Absolutely. This goes back to what Keith was saying. That's absolutely right. Over the course of time, they keep seeking. They. I love the way you said it's better than I wrote that. They stay and they ask. They stay and they ask. Like, we're not going to understand the nature of a God who is infinite. So what do we do? We just stay with him. Jesus says, come follow me. Discipleship is about staying with Jesus. And over the course of time, we're trained and we're shaped and we, and we, we change. Yes. I think the staying to wait and ask is part of their, is a key part to it. Because I can't tell you how many times in a, a class or a lecture or even after a sermon, I might linger to be able to talk to the teacher, the professor, the preacher. And after a little while, I think, well, this is taking too long. And so I leave or I start second guessing my question or my response. And I'm like, you know, that's not important. And so I leave. But it's when I'm truly hungry for an explanation yes. or truly hungry for validation that I will stay as long as it takes to get that audience. Oh, I love that. Now, see how that fits in with Jesus's picture. What does it mean to be a scribe? A student, an apprentice, a disciple, someone who's signing up. I'm not just here for the quick, give me, give me a 30-minute soundbite and I go on my way. No, I'm in, I'm all in on this Jesus guy. And that means a huge part of the time, I may be scratching my head, but here's my, here's my trust, that Jesus, the master teacher, will give me what I need to understand right now. And he'll give me what I need to understand tomorrow, and it'll be hopefully more tomorrow than it is today, but he'll give me what I need to know today. And there's a part of me that's always gonna be saying at the same time, you are the master and I don't understand. I bow before the mystery, but the core of it is pretty clear and I need to obey that. He'll give me what I need to obey today. <laughs> and then he'll keep taking me deeper. Isn't that a beautiful picture, right? L let me throw a little Diedrich Bonhoeffer in this. This, is, this relates to how he has his people read scripture. Now, let me remind you that what I'm about to talk about is when they read scripture together as a community. And remember, they got a little small community, 25, 30 people. Uh, it may be a family devotional. You can kind of think of that thing. Um, Next time or a time or two from now, we'll talk about individual reading of Scripture, okay? But this is communal reading of Scripture, and this is what he says. Um, uh, verse, page 50 and 51, if you're in my translation. There can be little doubt that brief verses cannot and should not take the place of reading the Scripture as a whole. The verse for the day is still not the Holy Scripture, which will remain throughout all time until the last day. Holy Scripture is more than a watchword. Holy Scripture is more than, I would say, a soundbite, is what he would say today. It's also more than light for today. <laughs> How many times do we see things like that? Again, he wrote this decades ago. It is God's revealed word for all people, for all times. Holy Scripture does not consist of individual passages. It is a unit and intended to be used as such. Now, again, don't go legalistic with this. There'll be places we push back. But I want to hear what he's saying. He's saying, sometimes when we gather, we ought, to, we ought to sit down and listen to chunks of scripture and not just a soundbite. Why? Because it's a larger story of God, and it's going to do something to us. Now, 
Here's the beautiful side effect of it. It's the same thing that happened when Jesus told parables. And they scratched their heads and came back to Jesus. Here's the side effect. I call it the side effect of humility. Again, this is brilliant insight that he gives us. Page 52. We must admit that the Holy Scriptures are still largely unknown to us. By the way, remember, he's writing to pastors in training. And wouldn't this be glorious for every pastor to say, just understand, before you step up there, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Can you just admit that you don't have it all figured out? Please, please. I say that to myself as well. Can this sin of our own ignorance of God's word have any other consequence that we should earnestly and faithfully recover lost ground and catch up on what we've missed? Pour yourself into scripture, he says. Not only immature Christians, but also mature Christians will complain that the scripture reading is often too long for them. <laughs> and that there is much that they do not grasp. In response to this complaint, it must be said that indeed for the mature Christian, listen to this, every scripture reading will be too long. Every scripture will be, uh, will be too long, even the shortest one. What does that mean? The scripture is a complex unity, and every word, every sentence contains such a diversity of relationships to the whole that it is impossible always to keep track of the whole when listening to an individual portion of it. So part of me says, read scripture. Why? Because you'll, you'll realize how much you don't know. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? I'm going to tell parables in such a way so that the smartest people in the room call hold on, I don't have it all figured out. Now, he's not just leaving us in ambiguity. Again, I had no idea where David was going, but this fits a lot with what he preached today. Therefore, it appears that the whole of Scripture as well as every passage in it far surpasses our understanding. So what do we do with that? Listen to this line. I love this. It can only be a good thing when we are daily reminded of this fact, which again refers us to Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that great? Part of the reason I read Scripture is say, all right, Jesus, I don't get it. Isn't that awesome? I used to think it was my job to master scripture. I mean, I grew up with that. We had Bible bowls, and I still there's still a trophy in the church we grew up in that we won the Bible bowl because we memorized the book of Acts largely. I mean, I could answer any detailed question on it. And i never forget this. Randy Harris used to say this. He said, I grew up in a period of time. I thought it was my job to master scripture. He said, now I've learned it is my job to be mastered by it. And so Bonhoeffer says, part of our reading ought to place us in a spot where we realize, I don't get it, and that's okay. And in the I don't get it mode, in moment, I say, all right, Jesus, I'm coming right back to you. Because it's not my job to be the master, I'm the student, you're the master. Yes. Uh, hey, I, he can use mine. Thanks. So I've got an I don't get it moment right now, and typically things like this don't happen unless I'm by myself, so I apologize. Um, you know, here we are talking about reading scripture, and, and this has become a big piece of my life lately because I'm seeking uh, a lot of chaos, a lot of turmoil. Um, so as I read this, I'm sitting here listening, and I'm trying to get it, and it feels like there's this plank in my eye, and I'm hoping y'all can help me with this. I see these parables or these statements one after the other, and I can't find the answer. I can't find what he's getting at. And what I mean by that is he compares the kingdom of God to a thing, an occupation, a tool of a trade, and an owner of a home. I'm lost. What is the kingdom? You know, we, we use the phrase kingdom life. Oh, I'm going to live like a disciple of Christ. Okay, I kind of get that. I can seek and I can try to do that, but I'm absolutely lost. I cannot answer yes here. 
and so I'm having trouble following it. And that's the extent of what I've got to say. I mean, I'm really having trouble following these comparisons because they're not congruent. They're not the same. So thoughts there from anybody because I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wade, were you going to say something? Well, I, no, I was, I'm trying to flip back to it. I, I've heard it said one time that, that parables, they don't have this universal, I don't know how to say this, but it's, it's like if you look at the one where he talks about he found the pearl, uh, found the great treasure, and he hid it, right. and he came back. I mean, that sounds a little, a little underhanded to, to me, you know? Sure. But the comment was, to me was, no, look at the point he's trying to make. Don't try to, you can't unravel the rainbow. Don't try to see something in it that's not in it. Understand what the point of the, of, that he's trying to make is. So I'm, I was actually trying to flip back over to the, to the passages and see, is that what he's trying to say? Is he trying to tell us what, what the kingdom of heaven is? Or is he trying to tell us the value of it? Right. Um, and I, excuse me for not having that open to look at it again. Yeah. Well, you, you, all day long you've been trying to juggle a microphone yeah, and, I have. and books, right. is it right? <laughs> I'm going to get you a little Garth Brooks mic, man. You'll be all right. So I, I wonder is, is, you know, sometimes we try to find too much uh, and, and to take it too deep into something that's meant to just to make a point. That's it's a good a parable. Point. It's not, this is not a, a deep It's not always an allegory. Right. Like the early readers of scripture sometimes would allegorize yeah. everything. The bandage is this and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. All right, well, let's do this. Uh, uh, no, you're not going to derail. Let's just use this as opportunity for a three-minute conversation that we do not have time to exhaust what we're about to do. Let me give you three minutes on a parable, okay? Um, that this is not the be-all and end-all answer. I'm just sharing with you something that was a blessing to me. Uh, not all parables are the same. This is a word that's used for all sorts of different styles of sayings. So uh, let, let me start even before I get to that. Number one, this is exactly the point of Bonhoeffer's saying. If you understand it, great. You're exactly where you need to be, which is Jesus, talk to me. And maybe you don't, maybe every one of these doesn't matter. Maybe there's one for you right now. Uh, the, so before we even talk about the other thing, my favorite, I know I've talked about this before, um, A.W. Tozer is a, a, a one of the best known writers, thinkers, preachers of the 20th century. Um, a big part of his story, he never had a college degree or anything like that. And you can tell even in some of his writings, there's a little bit of uh, resentment or edge against those who were trained. Um, so this, this was his practice every morning. He would read scripture and he would read um, uh, from the tradition of the uh, church fathers and mothers. And every time he would do it, he would lay down on the ground and he would pray for God to give him understanding. Now, if you've read his stuff now, I got, I got guys in our men's group that won't read it because it's too deep for him. And this is a guy who never went to college or anything like that. So my first invitation is God will give you exactly what you need in the moment. And I know you enough to know you want to know the whole thing. He ain't going to give it to you because you're a student, not the master. So pray and ask. Um, quick thing, then we'll come over here. Um, three pictures of a parable. I forget the guy who gave this, but this didn't come from me, but I give it to you. So think about this. Code, container, and object of art. Code, container, object of art. Say that with me. Code. Come on. Code, container, object of art. Different parables do different things. Sometimes it's a code, like Jesus is speaking 
to the inner circle so that they will come and ask him and they will get it and others won't. Jesus himself says, I'm saying it so you're going to get it and they're not. Uh, Jesus wasn't ready to die yet. So one of the reasons he spoke in parables is because he wasn't going to turn the heat up until later on when he's ready to die, honestly, okay? So he sometimes speaks in code, and so the idea is crack the code, and sometimes he'll give it to you. The parable so is a code. Does that make sense? All right? Container. Sometimes it's holding something to give as a gift to you. It's, there's not a great point, right? There's not, there's, you don't, there's not an allegory. There's not a code to it. There's an aha, and you open the container and you get the gift. I think the, the, the parable of the of the treasure is that. You open the thing and you get the gift, right? Um, then there's the third, my favorite one. What do you do with the prodigal son story? The loving father, better parable. It's a Monet painting. What's the point of a Monet painting? What's the point? What's the point of a Monet painting? Is anybody laughing at me for even asking that? There is no point of a Monet painting, right? I remember going to the Chicago Museum of Art and I remember spending an hour in the Monet room, and most of it was in front of this one painting where the uh, docent there said, the whole trick is standing in the right place. And when you stand in the right place, and I quote, remember this years ago, the magic happens. And I stood in front of this painting, was missed by the lake, and when I got to the right spot, the mist came out of the painting. Now, what was the point of that? Step into the world of the art. The prodigal son story is not so you can come off and have one point. There's a thousand different ways to read that story. Doesn't mean every, truth is relative and it all means it. No, it means step into the story. And on certain days, the older son will eat your lunch. And then certain days, it's the younger son. Certain days, it's the pig. I don't know what it, you know what I mean? It's not an allegory. But I find it very helpful to think about when I'm reading a parable. First of all, get on my face. Secondly, Lord, is it one of these? Don't let that lock you into it, but it might help open up. I'm not beating my head that there's all, maybe there's not a point. Maybe there is a world to step into and let God do his thing. Yes. Back, three minutes, back in the last century when I was in college. Say again? Back in the last century when I went to college, <laughs> yeah. um, I am mathematically challenged, which is, you know, to play music is, you know, it's all mathematical, okay? <laughs> yeah, yes. So that's a challenge. Anyway, so I wound up in calculus which, you know, I barely survived algebra and trig. Now I'm in calculus. I'm like, oh, how did this? Anyway, <laughs> so the, the instructor who was German, Dr. Ursula um, Anders, I think her name is, any, whatever, Roden, Dr. Roden. I mean, she's marked the writing on the board like she's got roller skates on it. I'm just like, <laughs> so every Tuesday, Every Thursday, I dutifully went into her office and there I said, go. Dr. Roden, can you please explain, you know, and da, 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 da. there, you see? Uh-huh. Could you do that one more time? And God bless her. She, and you know what? I made a C in calculus. <laughs> Good for you, man. And I was deliriously happy to That's have awesome. made a C. That's so awesome. when I read about the you know the great pearl and the this and the that and the, and, and like I, I'm not gonna worry about getting every little detail. Yes, good, good, good pastoral you know, word. There's a big, it's you know I don't know if it's Monet or not, but there's a big picture. Yes. And I get the big picture. Yes. And I think I'm gonna get a C in heaven. That's right. <laughs> Look, I treat it like the bar exam. The guy's drilled it in my head. I'm a perfectionist. Passing. I wanted to memorize it all. They said, "Look." 
the only, it's a pass-fail test. That's it. So I'm, I don't care about the grade. I just want to be in. That's it. But by the way, that's, thank you, because by the way, this is what I love about this class. In that moment, you ministered. You hear the word of God from your brother. You were released. You don't have to figure it all out, right? And yet, there is an invitation, okay? So I, in my pride as a good Church of Christ guy, wanted to master everything. No, no, no. Is there a place? What, what a great way to pray it. Lord, what, what do you want to master in me? And his answer may be nothing here. Go to the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, it may be something else. Uh, and it's okay to sprint. That's what I love about what Bonhoeffer says. Reading scripture will send me back to Jesus. It keeps sending me back to Jesus. And it may be in a moment of understanding. For he says, those who, who hear and understand, there will be fruit from the kingdom. But they don't understand everything. They understand something. And they act on what they do understand, not on what they don't. Does that make sense? So thank you for ministering to each other. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Please. Sorry, really fast. Um, well, verse 35, you know, he says, I'll open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden from the, since the foundation of the world. So he's, I mean, the parables, he's uttering the mysteries of what's been hidden from the creation. Mm. So whatever he says, I mean, like you were saying with art, you just, sometimes you just sit in the mystery. It's just beautiful to be in the mystery. Yes. You accept the mystery, but yes. it's still a mystery. There's mystery to it. Right. And then when you were reading before, um, about, you know, I will, I will utter things that, you know, they won't understand, that people can't hear. This is why I speak in parables. When you're reading it, I'd never heard it this way, and I don't know if I'm hearing it in a way that's not right, but um, I was thinking, you know, if you've heard the law or you've heard things, you've heard scripture read your whole life, and it's, it becomes a rote. I mean, like, that, it can become that way for me. Like, I, again, you've heard the same things over and over again, but a parable is a story. And you may not understand the story, but it catches your attention. Yep. And so, you know, maybe you get something from it. Maybe you just are like, well, that's interesting. And so it sticks in your mind and you're trying to work it out. And you ne may never understand all of it. But I just, I think the mystery part of it's beautiful. I love so. it. Yes. Uh, pass it up to Josh while, while the mic is moving. That's why my favorite, my favorite um, definition, not definition, description of the function of a parable I think it was Dodd, but I can't remember the scholar. Just make up a name and um, pretend that's right. Um, the point of a parable is to tease the mind into active thought. Isn't that beautiful? I would say even the heart. Tease the mind into active thought. Jesus would throw stuff out there intentionally so that we wouldn't understand it, so that we might come back to him for a deeper understanding. It's to tease us a little bit in active thought. Exactly the point of poetry, by the way. Poetry is supposed to play with... What's the point of a poem? If you ask that, we laugh, right? Josh. And I, I don't want to right. hijack your story, but the thing that really jumped out from what you said for me is you said, I faithfully returned to the teacher. And, and we have a teacher who is patient with us. Yes, we yes, have a teacher yes. that every time that we return will sit with us and walk us through the lesson. We also have a teacher that at the point that we no longer can progress will say, my grace is sufficient. Oh, I love that. Oh, my gosh, yes. You guys are teaching it today, right? We got we got to wrap up here, but this how important again, I love the Holy Spirit. I feel like shaped this to speak to a lot of us. I I grew up getting gold stars for memorizing the Bible verses and for Bible class attendance. Is all that bad? No way. I needed that. It was wonderful. And yet somewhere in my distortion of a good thing, 
I thought I get extra credit for understanding it and mastering it and all that. No, to be mastered by it. Let me, let me end here with two pieces of practical wisdom. Number one comes, this, this is borrowing on where he's going to go in the book later, but I learned this again from a teacher of mine and friend, uh, Randy Harris. He said in his personal reading, remember, this is talking about communal reading, so don't feel like you've got to go home today and read you know, 20 chapters of something, although I think there's a benefit of reading larger chunks. But this is what he does in his own personal life, and he just he doesn't have it mapped out. He goes by a vibe, but he said, I alternate between, between reading large chunks of Scripture and reading very small ones. Large chunks just to take in the story of God and then bathing myself. Maybe there's a, it, this will happen. There'll be a passage that grabs you. Maybe it's not the whole thing, Jeff, but maybe there's one parable that's like, I don't understand it, but it's, it's tweaking me and I want to live there. So balance those two things. Again, Bonhoeffer will talk about the second in, in a little bit, but I love this kind of balance. By the way, for the first one, a wonderful gift are these apps. Like the, the, your phone will read to you. So let it read. I got a friend of mine that she read the whole Old Testament with a message just going to work and just playing it. And something happened over time where a bunch of the stuff she didn't understand couldn't say the names back to you, but, but there was something about bathing in the larger story. So let's, let's hear what he says. Let the Holy Spirit apply it to your own life. This is not a thou shalt, all right? The last thing, I'll let his words be this, and then um, it close with the image from the, where did it come from? Yeah, on page 54, what, is it, what does he say? Put yourself into the story of God. That's what we're trying to do every week. Put yourself into God's story. Consecutive reading of biblical books, uh, page 53, forces everyone who wants to hear to put themselves or allow themselves to be found. That's probably better with the Holy Spirit's direction. To allow themselves to be found where God has acted once and for all for the salvation of human beings. So I'm just letting this wash over me. I'm just, I'm sitting there. I'm in the crowd with the disciples. I may be the Pharisee. I may be Nicodemus. I may be whatever, right? Now, this is the real challenge. He always gives us a little turn, and I'll let this be the, the thing we with, finish with. We are the reverent listeners and participants in God's action in the sacred story, the history of the Christ on earth. And only insofar as we are there is God with us today. Now watch. Here's what I usually do. I go to the Bible to get a word for me for today. Right? Not, not all bad. But he says a complete reversal occurs here. It's not that God's help and presence must still be proved in our life. Rather, God's presence and help have been demonstrated for us in the life of Jesus. Now listen to this. Huge. Page 54. It is in fact far more important for us to know what God did to Israel in God's Son, Jesus Christ, than then to discover what God intends for us today. Hear that challenge. Does God have something for you today? Yes. But hear this first. It's far more important to hear what God already did in Christ than for me to start by saying, Jesus, what are you going to do in my workplace today? The fact that Jesus died is far more important than the fact that I will die. Wow. And the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is the sole ground of my hope that I too will be raised on the day of judgment. What if I start my Bible reading by saying, God, what do you want to say and do first? Then I bring myself into it. Do you see that just that heart of submission, I think, is really incredible. So, so I end with this. Think about Jesus' image, and I encourage you to, to apply it in your own life. The, the student of Scripture is the one who goes to the storeroom. For me, it's mom's attic. What is it for you? Every time. Every time I go home and venture into my mother's attic, I find old pictures or my little rock'em sock'em robots. I promise it's still probably up in my mom's attic. And I, 
the old games that I used to play, and it takes me back, and it's beautiful. And every time, every time I've ever gone to my mom's attic or to the garage or to, uh, sorry, the basement of my mom's house, I will find things I've never seen before. And I'll go and say, what is this? And she'll tell me the story of my own family, and I find myself in it. Jesus says the student of the word of God will go there and find things we forgot that is who we are and it's our story. And we will be dazzled when the Holy Spirit of God says, here is something fresh and new in the work of God for you and for you and for me and for us today. Isn't that beautiful? Let's go to the attic, man. He is inviting us day in and day out. Father God, we love that you are a God who reveals yourself to your people. It's so staggering to me. There's so many religions where we have to find the mystery or there's only a few people that know the mystery. You want to reveal yourself so much. You did this entire incarnation thing where you enfleshed yourself in your son Jesus and came and lived out a life, died and was raised alive again so that we could see what life really looks like. And then you are still here in the presence of your Holy Spirit to continually reveal the mystery in an ongoing way. Father, invite us into the attic today and over the course of this week to discover what has always been there and what you are giving us fresh and new for this season of our lives. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thank you. Wonderful class.